Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel according to St. Mark, as recorded in chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the gospel of our Lord. The last stanza of our hymn we sing before this sermon, Your works not mine, O Christ, say, your righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No other righteousness can set a sinner free. To whom but you alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. Sadly, this man didn't understand that, did he? In fact, when we translate the original inspired Greek language that, that this was written in, it's a more clunky way. The man says, good teacher, what thing am I obligated to do so that I may obtain possession of eternal life? What stronger statement of work righteousness do you need? Therein is the natural religion that every one of us has built into us. And it takes an act of the Holy Spirit entering our hearts to get it out of us. How do I, what do I have to uh, endure in order to squeeze out of God, earn out of God, get out of God the blessing of eternal life? The man has a sin and he doesn't even realize the first sin is against what we call the first table of the law, which is summarized, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The greatest act of love and faith we give to God is when we trust that he has done the work for our salvation. And this man is confused. He says, good teacher. So Jesus begins right away. He uses the law to show the man the hopelessness of his salvation and actually he invites him to confess something wonderful. Yet Jesus said, For what reason do you call me good? No one is good except for one who is God. No human is good except for one who is God. There is the law. The law is screaming out at this man as it does to you and I. You're damned. You're damned to hell. You're not good enough. You're not good. 
You are dead, dead in your sins and transgressions. The devil is your master and you are his slave. And under the devil, you can only choose which acts of unholiness, unrighteousness against God that you are going to do. You think you're going to earn eternal life? You're nothing but damnation. It stings. It hurts. Oh, but there's an invitation too. No human is good. No one is good except one who is God. You want to earn your salvation? No. God earned it. God became a man. God lived perfectly for you and I. This, this man who wants to earn his salvation is standing before the God-man, our Savior. And the God-man shows the man his sin. You're not good enough. You can't earn it. But also says there's one who does. One. There's an invitation to confess. Oh, you are my Lord and my God. Peter had denied his Lord three times. When the Lord appears to him, Peter bows down and worships him. He says, my Lord and my God. The grace of God had registered with Peter. The Holy Spirit had worked. Jesus shows the man he can't earn it. And the only one who can earn it, well, he can confess that. He's before him. And Jesus continues. See, the first table of the law, Jesus is true God. And if you do not trust the God-man, if you do not trust in him for salvation, you're done for. That's it. That's a sin against the first table of the law. But it will express itself in the second table of the law, which is our relationship with our neighbor. Because we will not have a good relationship, a perfect relationship, a holy relationship, a God-pleasing relationship with our neighbor if we do not love the true God. First table of the law. So Jesus says, you know the law, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not swindle. You shall keep on honoring your father and mother. All right. We find out in the Sermon on the Mount, happened prior to this, that even the thoughts against these laws condemn us. All right. Well, I can tell you before I was can remember I didn't honor my mother and father perfectly. My teenage years were just a testimony, a mountain of evidence against that. Uh, well, have to admit, more than once in my life, I've said a lie. Uh, well, I, I, just those two alone, you're done. If you look at your neighbor's property with the heart of stealing it, you're done. If you look at your neighbor's wife lustfully, you're done. That's it. All evidence that we're not holy. The man should have been, uh, as the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, he should have the law working, he should have beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. But he doesn't. The problem is we have, the, we have this, this arrogance built into us since the fall into sin. We, we, we can point out everybody else's sins and oftentimes make them even worse. But ourselves, why? Well, I'm not that bad. Man falls into that sin. Teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments ever since I was young. Really? Who are you lying to? Yourself only. Man just continues to refuse to see he can't earn his salvation. Yet Jesus looked deeply at him and loved him. 
we come to the first mistake that often we get into this text. People think that, oh, this guy is so holy that now he's done it. He's done exactly what he was home to do. He's earned God's love. Uh Uh-uh. The Greek word used here for love, agape, when it is used of God in the New Testament, always is undeserved love. Jesus looks at this man with a a love this man does not deserve, just as he's done for you and I. Looks at him with that undeserved love and says to him, one thing keeps on excluding you from salvation. Here it is. Here's your sin, my friend. If you can see this sin, you will see that you cannot earn your salvation. Get going. Sell as much as you have and give it to the poor and you will have a treasury in heaven. And then the command Jesus gives is not just do this once, but keep doing it. Then come follow and continue following me. Ah, here's where it is. Jesus actually using the second table of law. Give this to your fellow man. But he points to the first table of the law. Sell everything. This is your God, you rich young man. I I miss a word we used to have in English. The King James Version in places used the word mammon. Not in this section. Mammon is the love not just of the wealth that buys things, but the things it buys, our possessions. Even a poor man can let his possessions be his God. Get rid of your God. You love these things more than you love God. Jesus is pointing out where the man's sin is. This is what you hold dear in your heart more than God. What things are we tempted to hold dear in our heart more than God? Is it mammon? Is it a relationship with a sinful human being? God forbid it be a bitter grudge we are holding against a brother or sister in Christ or even against an atheist. A bitter grudge that is unholy and not like the love of God that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts. So this man has his sin pointed out. And then after getting rid of your false God, don't just start following me. You've got to keep following me. Yet the man was shocked. The Greek word has a word picture. Dismayed. Knocked out of his senses by gloom. <laughs> I love my wealth. On account of the statement, and he departed in sadness because he was owning many possessions. Here we get into a part of scripture that is often misunderstood. And Jesus looked around and was saying to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. People say, then it must be a sin to be rich. And if you're rich, you are damned to hell. No, uh -uh. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Nicodemus, one of the members of the council who did not vote to kill Jesus, who came and asked for Jesus' body with Joseph of Arimathea, was not a poor man. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, had a wealthy man's tomb. He gave it to our Lord. Of course, he didn't realize what a deal he was getting. He'd get it back in three days, right? That's to our glory. It is not a sin to be wealthy. You can still be saved. The problem is wealth is one of the things that even a poor man can struggle with to let it be his God. He can love it more in his heart. This man is offered salvation. He's shown this is your false God. Given the opportunity, the word of God there, he walks away. I'd rather spend an eternity in hell than give up the temporal pleasures of this life. How sad. 
Now, people who don't understand this text stumble all over themselves to get around it. The first you will hear is this story that there was a gate in Jerusalem that was closed uh, but left just about four feet off the ground at night. And if you were coming with a camel, you would have to completely unload it and try to get this animal that can be quite stubborn, stubborn as a mule, to crawl underneath this gate. The nearest I can find in my research is I heard once that a gate like this existed during the Crusades in the medieval ages. This gate did not exist at this time. So when you hear people trying to get around it, because they know there's people in the Bible who are saved that are rich, and they tell you that there's this gate, that's not it. You cannot get a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Even though their sewing needles were a lot bigger than ours today, you cannot get even a mouse to pass through the eye of that needle. End of discussion. Jesus is pointing out, you're going to earn salvation, it's impossible. Follow along here, because there's another misunderstanding that comes out of this. I'm going to point to a man who followed along on the coattails of Luther and the Reformation. His name was John Calvin. Today, his followers are known as the Reformed, Presbyterian, Congregational Churches. Uh, the Puritans who came over here were followers of John Calvin. Now, John Calvin made a mistake. He tried to force God into man's sin-tainted logic. John Calvin had figured, if God planned your salvation, then those who are damned to hell, God must have planned uh, for them to be damned to hell. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches God wants all men to be saved, but logic has to make it a two-sided coin. And then, because of his logic, he'd even figured out that if you are one of the elect predestined, then you really can be sent to heaven without the word of God that tells you of your Savior. So then people began to wonder, well, then how can I know if I'm the elect? If you want to know if God has predestined to save you, he has never predestined anyone to be damned, it's simple. Listen to the word of scripture. The promises are for you. It's that simple. John 3.16 is yours. But people began to wonder where their signs. So John Calvin argues, logic's out this. If you're wealthy, that's a wonderful thing in this life. Therefore, and since men like Abraham, the father of believers, was wealthy. Therefore, if you're wealthy, that is clearly a sign of predestination. Notice how he is completely strayed away from the word of God, completely removed Christ the God-man, the only one who is good from the equation. Well, John Calvin was not the first to make this mistake. The Pharisees believed this. If you loved God and God loved you back, he would favor you with wealth. And this is why when they saw somebody was born blind and these sorts of things, they would think the opposite. They'd say, this person or their parents must have done a really nasty sin and God is ticked at them. That is not the case. The point here is, and the disciples are shocked, you can't buy your way into heaven. Wealth is not a sign that God loves you. It's a sign that God has blessed you. But maybe he's blessing you in this life because you've rejected him and he knows what's coming. And maybe he's blessed you in this life because he's given you the gift to use that to glorify him. Now the disciples were amazed on account of Jesus's words. Then Jesus responded by saying to them, children, how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom of God. There it is. Notice right here he doesn't say, as he did before, how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter. He says, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. You can't do this. You and I are not holy. We do not have the righteousness it demands. He says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. 
Now the disciples, being even more struck with astonishment, were saying to each other, who then is able to be saved? See, they bought into this too. Well, if you're wealthy, and now think about this, and we can understand how they could misunderstand, but it is wrong. Number one, to be born a Jew. God had promised Abraham. If you're a Jew, you are Abraham's physical descendant. God must love you. Then to be born a wealthy Jew, boy, God must really, really love you. And if you, a rich Jew, if your riches are not proof that you are going to heaven, well, then who could possibly be saved? Jesus looked deeply at them and was saying, with man, it's impossible. The preposition used in Greek is beside. Kind of neat, we could actually translate this, in man's bag of tricks, in man's toolkit, it's impossible. What kind of tools do man use? Oh, well, I'll try to earn it. That's the toolkit this guy's using. Uh-uh, you can't buy it. You have to be righteous, and you're not righteous. Maybe then I will scream the injustice. It's not fair that God expects me to be holy. Doesn't matter. Either you're holy or you're going to hell. Oh, I will ignore the problem and make it go away. Uh Uh-uh. On Judgment Day, you will be slapped in the face with it. Hmm. Man has all kinds of bags of tricks. And again, his natural religion is to try to earn it. You are all guilty of this. It's built into us, if you will, as slaves to the devil. So it's impossible on our side. There's no tool we can use. But he says, but not with God. Again, not in God's bag, not in God's toolkit. I don't want to make it sound like God's tricky. God has something else. And he says, because all things are possible at God's side, in God's toolkit. And here it is. Here's how we get to heaven. And we go right back to the beginning of the text. God, in his toolkit, pulled out a wonderful tool. He became man. He lived in our place. He suffered the punishment for our sins. Then... Out of his toolkit, God the Father and God the Son sent his Holy Spirit working through that message to enter your heart. Working through that word, the Holy Spirit enters your heart. You trust Jesus Christ is the God man who has done all the work 100% for your salvation. Then out of his toolkit, God declares you righteous. He declares you Holy, the blood of Christ by that Holy Spirit in your heart is poured upon you, washing your sins away. This doesn't give us a license to sin. Now that that Holy Spirit's in our heart, we don't want to sin. Although with our sinful nature, we do by the day. We know we've been declared righteous because we have been credited with Christ's righteousness. We know that Christ has earned it, that Christ has taken us. I said we were slaves to the devil. Christ has purchased and won us, not from the devil, But from God's justice, he has purchased and won us so that we are now children of God. So as we've seen throughout this text, as we sing in our hymn, Your work's not mine, O Christ, Jesus is true God. He's the one who is good. And he gives us salvation. It comes out of his toolkit, not yours and mine. It's his work. It's completely out of our hands. And that gives us comfort because then we're not going to mess it up. It's not in our tool bag for us to break it. It's his. And he gladly gives it to you. Are you wealthy? Trusting in Christ will save you. Are you poor? Trusting in Christ will save you. Amen. And now the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.